Whether you need to restock the fridge or just have a sudden, intense craving for cheese puffs, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. From groceries to household items, Kroger delivers right to your door. So don't let one major craving have you reaching for your car keys. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery times not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome, everyone. This is The Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Our email address, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And you can listen to The Exxon Radio TV show 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and 365 days of the year at our main website at www.xzoneradiotv.com. Or, if you'd like to use your telephone, your cell phone, your Skype phone, there's also 213-401-0080, which will allow you to listen to the Exxon feed. Wow, what a day it's been. Uh, super weather, fall is in the air. As somebody pointed out to me today, 65 days until Christmas. Now, I really needed to hear that, right? Six kids, eight grandchildren, the wife is planning a holiday, and I just had to hear 65 more days until Christmas. <sighs> what can I tell you? Anyway, this is going to be a very interesting hour, XO Nation. My guest this hour is Brandon Callahan. He's the author of The House Where Evil Lurks, a paranormal investigator's most frightening encounter. And he... Brandon was born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, traveled the world while serving in the United States Air Force, and works to develop new theories with existing ones in the paranormal field to allow more knowledge and the ability to assist those in need. Brandon grew up with an insatiable desire to learn everything he could about anything mysterious. 
He's been actively investigating paranormal activity in the field for many years and has developed a method of tracking potential hotspots, locations located around the world. He's a paranormal investigator, an author, an aspiring filmmaker, founder and co-founder of multiple paranormal investigation teams, branded in instance to those in need, and constantly seeks the truth. Brandon searches for unique locations and stories to share with the world. He's on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. And Brandon, welcome to the X-Zone. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's great having you. First of all, I want to thank you and everyone else in the military for the wonderful things that you do in protecting our freedom, our democracy. So a big hats off to every one of you. No, thank you very much. It's, it's certainly, I think, uh, for the most part, our pleasure. Brandon, uh, tell me how you got put on the path to this, this strange and bizarre world that you and I both delve into, the world of the paranormal. Yeah, uh, well, you know, uh, it was it's kind of the classic tale of a, 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 a child with a great imagination, mm-hmm. and as I grew older realized that uh, there's a lot of mystery to the world, and it's always drawn me in, and uh, it's been something that, you know, I'm not one of those people that grew up experiencing a lot of things, uh, like you hear so often. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I I decided to study as much as I could about pretty much every aspect of the paranormal, Mm -hmm. and decided about seven years ago that I really wanted to get into the field and start working and kind of trying to find my own answers. So that's, that's pretty much what we did. So tell me, are, are we learning anything new when it comes to the investigation of the paranormal? Are we getting any closer to the, to the secrets that have been plaguing us for so many years? Well, um, you know, I work uh, with different theories. One in particular uh, that I've found great success with and and it gives me the ability to and it what i believe to lead me to a location uh that has higher potential for this type of activity um i do a lot of ley line research right and i've done a lot of studying on them over the years and that has been for me more like my roadmap uh when i'm searching for uh, potential stories, mm-hmm. uh, potential investigations, and things like that. Um, for me, that that is one of my key ingredients, I guess you'd say. Um, as far as the field as a whole, um, I, I believe there's a lot of good practices, and I believe there's a lot of good theories. Um, I would like to see a little bit more, uh, I, I don't know if you'd call it teamwork mm-hmm. or unity or whatever it might be, uh, it seems like there's a lot of secrecy to it, sure is. Uh, which I, I think at some point, if we're really going to move forward, I think yeah. people really need to start kind of banding together and and really trying to bring a scientific element into it as well, which Brandon, is something I also try to do. Brandon, we've got to take our first commercial break. We'll be back in two minutes. Brandon Callahan is our guest, and we'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Brandon Callahan is my guest this hour. He's the author of The House Where Evil Lurks, a paranormal investigator's most frightening encounter. And it's available at Llewellyn. And um, 
For more information on Brandon, why don't you join him on Facebook? Facebook.com forward slash Callahan Author. You know, uh, you and I were talking before the commercial break as there seems not to be very much cooperation in between the various paranormal groups. And we're just not talking about ghost research. We're, you know, you can go down the entire line from UFOs to Bigfoot to cryptozoology. And I don't understand why these researchers have not had the aha moment, the epiphany that in order for law enforcement or the military or anyone to win or to catch a suspect, you need to share information. That's what NCIC is for, the National Intelligence uh, Crime, what is it, NCIC, National Crime Intelligence Center or Information Center in in the United uh, States, CPEC up here in Canada, Canadian Police Information Center, so that the information can be shared to bring the case to a successful conclusion. So why isn't that the right. same way in the paranormal? Well, I, I think it's actually pretty simple. Um, I, I think you can really divide, you know, you, 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 we use the words researchers, mm-hmm. investigators. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, what I see is a lot of me, 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 you I know, see, yeah. and I see a lot of people that want to be on TV or, you know, want some type of notoriety. And I think they feel it's more of a competition rather than an actual process of gathering information and and really attempting to find, you know, real information that that, that can lead us into the future to really answer some questions that have been asked for forever. And I, I think a lot of times it just really becomes more of a competition. And I think that is extremely counterproductive you know what i agree with you 100 um, percent but i but i have to ask you you know um, is evil real oh yeah oh yeah uh, it's uh, i i think you, you can watch the news for about 10 minutes and you can see that evil is real and unfortunately it's not always something that's tangible mm-hmm. it's not always something that's right in front of your face um, it can be spiritual. It can be, it, it, you know, it's, it's everywhere you look in every direction. And uh, I, I, I think once the embodiment of that, the physical being is gone, the energy doesn't necessarily always go with it. Tell me about your book. Well, the book actually uh, originally wasn't intended to be a book, to be honest with you. Uh, we had been working on a case uh, with a gentleman uh, down in uh, the middle part of Missouri, and we had worked in his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we got called in uh, with some pretty extreme claims of activity, and so we didn't really know what to expect going in, but it did seem like something that uh, was going to be very active. Um, I didn't realize at the time that it was going to get to the extreme that it did, but um, we had worked in many houses up to that point, and, you know, with varying degrees of success as far as helping the families out and and helping them live a little bit more peaceful life. Um, And this one kind of took us by surprise, to be honest with you. And what it turned out to be 
I actually take very extensive notes every time we go out and do an investigation, regardless of where we go. Right. And by the time I was finished with my notes on this story and the way it concluded, um, I let a lot of time pass, and we moved on to other cases and things like that. It was something that at the time I, I honestly would have rather just forgotten. It was something that almost took me out of the world of the paranormal completely. Wow. Um, but I realized I basically had to make a choice, either stay or go. And if I stayed, I knew I wanted to really go and learn as much as I could and develop my skills as best I can. And that's the path that I chose to take. Um, but at the time, really, it was just a bunch of notes. And before I knew it, I had a couple of friends read some of the notes and they said, you've got to write about this. And so one thing came to another and before you know it, Llewellyn called, and uh, and we've got a book on our hands. So it was pretty cool. But, uh, I, you know, to this day, I, I still haven't read the whole book myself uh, in the final draft form because, really, a lot, of the, a lot of the words were difficult enough to put on paper. Can you give us a, an idea of what the, what the case was that you wrote about? Sure. Uh, Shane, uh, he was our client. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is deaf. And so he's gone through his entire life with a pretty severe disability, but he's lived a very good life. And he ended up having some physical attacks in his own home. Um, I, I kind of determined as we were working the case that it was this being's way of interacting with him. A lot of people had claimed they'd hear things all throughout the house. Obviously, Shane couldn't hear him. And so I think it took it upon itself to go ahead and get physical. And so we went down there, and each investigation seemed to get a little bit more and more personal. Uh, People involved were losing sleep, having nightmares. Uh, People had been scratched in the house. Um, It became pretty clear pretty quickly that it was going to be uh, a really beast of a case. And we ended up... uh, you know, I ended up having to, to learn some hard lessons. Um, I was actually followed home. And that's kind of, I guess, where, you know, the book, well, the story, I guess, kind of climaxes. Uh, Shane ended up actually moving out of the house. So, unfortunately, we weren't really able to come mm-hmm. to too much of a conclusion with whatever was going on in the home. But it had a lot to do with us trying to figure out why and what it was and you know that that really needed his attention and and what was the goal and i think in the in the end sometimes in a home a spirit may just believe that it's it's the owner it's it's the one in power and it doesn't want anybody anywhere near it this this particular house was not shy uh, at all. It, it, we started getting audio recordings pretty much from the minute we walked in the door. Activity pretty much nonstop. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot to take in, and we all learned a lot of lessons, too. So, so what was the entity? Was it a demonic spirit? Was it a, uh, was it a true haunting? What, what was it? Difficult, difficult, as I, difficult as it is to say, um, I, I truly believe that it was demonic. Um, I believe that I've come in contact with a demonic uh, experience mm-hmm. one other time besides this particular story, and there's a lot of similarities. 
when you take home a lot of this energy and it takes days and you know after more and more investigations it takes longer and longer to get rid of this energy mm-hmm. that really just kind of you soak in while you're there um with some of the recordings we got some of the video we got and then of course the physical altercations um it became pretty clear to me that it was something uh that was not human it was very powerful so prior to your client living in the house uh was there any any trace of any any activity uh, what did your research show yeah um the house was originally a, used as a uh, funeral parlor mm. uh it was built in the 1920s and the original owner uh was an was an undertaker right and uh, uh he owned his own funeral home and there was a lot of mystery around that family. He ended up ultimately committing suicide. Uh, he had kind of lived through a lot of accusations of uh, being less than respectful to the the corpses uh, and things of that nature. His wife at one point mysteriously disappeared, never to be found. Um, and... A lot of times when you're dealing with a funeral home or something like that, you have to be on guard because you don't really know what kind of energy was there, Right. let alone in a place where everything that was documented showed that there were bad things that happened in that home um, really all throughout, uh, uh, all throughout its existence. And in a period of time in the 80s, when the home actually was uh, abandoned, uh, it was rumored I couldn't find facts or documentation, although I did find a lot of potential evidence in the basement of uh, people squatting in the house, uh, witchcraft uh, seances and things like that going on in the in the home. But again, you know, that's something that's very difficult to really find documentation of. Although there was a dungeon room that we called it a dungeon room uh, downstairs in the basement that really seemed to have no no reason to be there it was just kind of a random room but you could cut the you could cut the feeling in there with a knife it was so thick and it was just right in your face and there was a lot of graffiti on the walls mm-hmm. and we found candles and things like that uh that the family had told me that they had didn't have anything to do with although again you know you kind of take people at their word sure. for a lot of things sure but there was a lot of a lot of interesting history, and and you know I think a lot of small towns have that story of you know the quote unquote haunted house on the block, and this so happened to be that one in this particular town. So, whatever happened to the client uh, when he left the house? Did the haunting stop? Yeah, he's he's doing great now. Um, I still talk to him regularly. Uh, he's, he's doing really well. His family finally just rid themselves of the house and none of them have had any problems since. Uh, my understanding is, is that the gentleman that purchased the house does still rent it out to people. Um, and I've also, because Shane's family lives within sight of the house within a block or two. And they've said that they've seen several families move in and nobody really stays for more than a few months. Uh, unfortunately, but uh, but yeah, it's it's still it, the somebody does own it. It's still standing, wow. and uh, to my knowledge, it's still being rented out as well. 
One quick question. Uh, we got to go to our, our news break at the bottom of the hour. Did your client know that the house had been a funeral parlor when he moved in? Uh, they had found that out, I think, uh, several years after they uh -huh. originally purchased it. Okay. The family actually owned the house on two separate occasions. Right. Um, and, again, there was that period of time where it sat and it was uh, abandoned. All right. We've but, got to go to our news uh, break. Please no, stand they, by, they Brandon. Brandon, stand by. We've got to take a news break. We'll be back on the other side of this break. As the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. I'm Rob McConnell, and welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Today on the X-Zone, the Great Lakes Triangle of North America. Found in the heartland of North America, these landlocked yet connected lakes, which eventually empty into the Atlantic Ocean, have become the scene of more mysteries involving ships, aircraft, people, UFOs, ghosts, and phantom ships than the Bermuda Triangle. One-sixteenth the size of the Bermuda Triangle, Lady John Graves Simcoe was the first European to chronicle the strange orbs of life that have been seen above and below the waters of Lake Ontario. First Canadians tell of great cities which surrounded the Great Lakes where men flew without wings. The Great Lakes Triangle of North America, one of the world's greatest mysteries, right in our own backyard. Welcome back, everyone. Brandon Callahan is our special guest this hour. Brandon is the author of The House Where Evil Lurks, a paranormal investigator's most frightening encounter. And uh, you can join Brandon on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. Why is the, that's the subtitle, A Paranormal Investigator's Most Frightening Encounter? What was it that frightened you so much that you used this for a subtitle? Well, you know, it was a little bit of a corroboration between myself and uh, uh, the people at Llewellyn uh, because I really didn't have a very specific title that I had in mind. Mm -hmm. um, however, when I think the the explanation is mostly because of what ends up happening to me uh, towards the end of the book uh, because it it went from being a case of investigation mm -hmm. to a case of personal experience and personal attack um and i had never experienced anything like it uh, or anything even close to it and so it kind of just you know it kind of just came together that way let, let me let me ask you this would you live in that house no no i i wouldn't recommend that anybody lives in that house uh, i've been asked if i'd go back there mm -hmm. And I, I do believe that I would. I don't know that it would be the wisest thing, uh, but I, I made my mistakes and feel that I learned from them. But uh, as far as living in that house, definitely not. No, no way. Um, I understand there was a scientist that joined the investigation. Tell me about it. Yeah, he's actually uh, he's got a Ph.D. in particle physics from mm -hmm. Duke University. Um, I worked with him. He was an engineer at a place that I worked uh, several years ago. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. And I had kind of explained to him some of the things that have been going on and what we were trying to do. Right. And he expressed an interest in actually bringing real science into the picture so he could help us in some of our experiments and kind of give us his take. Because a lot of times the world of actual scientists and the world of these investigators really don't mix. 
And so uh, he joined us on an investigation, and in a lot of ways, he was uh, he was perplexed to say really? the least. What did he yeah. find? What did Absolutely. he find most perplexing about the entire investigation, and how close? Did he come, if he came close, to actually saying, listen, there's a ghost here, there's a spirit here, there's a demon here? How did he classify the actions that were being that were being manifested? You know, a lot of it was demeanor in the fact mm-hmm. that he really was very quiet and standoffish um, after the fact. Um, and I understood, well, he understood that there were some things that he couldn't explain mm-hmm. in, in a true scientist's perspective, you know, you need to be able to replicate something. You need to be able to explain something. Um, and that just wasn't the case. It was actually a very active night, the night that he went with us. And I think what really got him the most was the electronics uh, functioning on their own. Uh, flashlights turning on by themselves uh, or even on command. Uh, I, had a, I had him thoroughly inspect all of our equipment to make sure he didn't really think that you know, anything had been tampered with, mm-hmm. and sure enough, he, he really had no explanation whatsoever. So uh, I, I think he, he never really came right out and said it, um, but he, he was definitely intrigued, for sure. How is it possible that something that is not seen has no mass, has no volume, has no density, can actually turn on a flashlight or turn on equipment? Well, I, I feel like there is a lot of energy, um, and, and what what actually uh, creates that energy, I, I think, you know, whether we can see it or not, uh, sometimes it's palpable. You know, you're, if you're doing readings, you can, you, you can see your, your mechanics fluctuate when there's really no reason, no rhyme or reason mm-hmm. for it. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways... It, and, and, you know, it did manifest itself to something that we could very easily see when we watched one of our videos. And the explanation of that and how it happens and what exactly it is is certainly the million-dollar question. But uh, it's definitely something that, you know, I, I, you know it, he was taken aback, and, and certainly we are too. And I think that's part of the draw to what we do is trying to figure that out and, and explain it. Tell, it, it's a it's a very difficult question yeah. to answer. T- tell me, were any members of the clergy invited to assist you in this investigation? The family had called in their their local pastor, okay. uh, who had determined the need to bless the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding was is that he was only in the house for about five minutes before he got violently ill and he wow. ended up leaving, uh, refusing to come back. Unreal. I actually had met with a Catholic deacon. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up Catholic and have kind of had my ups and downs in my relationship with Catholicism, uh, although a lot of my beliefs still are right firmly along those lines. And I had sat down and talked to a Catholic deacon who is actually an exorcist. Right. And he and I had a long conversation, and really we kind of determined that he and I would require many more conversations. Uh, I, I know that's very vague, but the bottom line was is there is not really an upfront willingness a lot of times to uh, partake in these investigations mm-hmm. without something completely undeniable right in front of their face. Right. And so 
we did not bring anybody clergy-wise in with us. No, we did not. Now, how many of you actually went in on the investigation? Now, what was each member's role? Well, my brother, uh, my brother Courtney, is kind of my 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 right hand, mm-hmm. um, and he is he's more uh, he's a, he's an army guy, so he's more of a tactical guy. Uh, he loves the Q and A. Um, now we've got Jason, who is very sensitive. Uh, so I, I actually kind of do a separate thing with him. Uh, he's also one of my. I'm, I'm blessed to have him as one of my tech guys. He's a computer wizard, mm-hmm. and and then Jared, he is. He really came aboard out of more curiosity than anything. Uh, we just had great chemistry, and that's what I think is one of the most important things about any team is the actual chemistry, not necessarily if you're all skeptics or if you're all believers or if you're all from the same religion. Um, Jared wants to be a, a, a camera guy. You know, he's a photographer. He loves using. He loves shooting uh, with film, mm-hmm. and. So he kind of came along for the ride, and he's really stuck right with me ever since. He's really a great, a great asset to us. Wow, that's. And we also work closely with other teams mm-hmm. that I feel comfortable with as well. Uh, we worked with a friend, a uh, friend of mine out of Wichita, and we also worked with a friend of mine out of Arkansas. And so we had actually different groups, which sometimes I like to do because I like to get the different perspectives, and I like to see everybody's different styles, and I like to see what works. And there wasn't anybody that went in that house that didn't come out with some kind of story, that's for sure. And it didn't matter if it was, uh, you know, whether it was from an EVP session or feeling like you were touched or scratched, whatever it might be, everybody got a load of that house and it's undeniable um what kind of equipment did you use during your investigation into this house well we set up a lot of uh, still cameras Mm -hmm. uh throughout the house just so we could catch any type of movement or anything like that uh we do a lot of evp um i i really do enjoy the audio side of things um one of my favorite pieces of equipment is the rt evp because I like the real-time playback. Um, and so, because I, I do spend a lot of time playing back, you know, uh, portions of the EVP sessions, and that kind of takes that out, because sometimes it's very obvious. In a place like that, I could, it was almost as though I was having a conversation. Unreal. And something like that, yeah, something like that, you, you just, you, you play along with, and you try to get as much as you can. Um, but we did a lot of audio. We did some EMF. And, of course, we set up some experiments with our flashlights and things like that. Uh, and, and basically, we just try to record as much as we can. You know, we try, sure. I, I think, as much information as we can bring back with us. Sometimes it's very tedious to go through it second by second, but it's well worth it in the end. And the the weirdest thing about this place was... I would go through about a 10-minute EVP session. Sometimes it would take me an hour because I'm stopping every couple seconds sure. because I'm trying to determine what I just heard. And it was it was really that active. It, it was I, I still, to this day, I've been in a lot of um, audible places, but this one probably took the cake. Now, you said earlier that you were followed home. Who or what followed you? Well, um 
I don't know exactly who or what, um, but I do believe it was the same energy that ended up attacking Shane that uh-huh. brought us there in the first place. Uh, throughout our investigations, I was named several times. Uh, everybody was pretty much named at least once, but it seemed to really key on me. And I believe that I stepped out of line and I had not properly protected myself prior to the investigation. And I believe that it was my turn to learn a very valuable lesson. And so I I think that this dark entity, which I I do believe to be a demon of some kind, uh, followed me home. And, you know, we always have to remember when it comes to something like that, they don't work on a 24-hour clock. You know, they can stalk you, they can get in your head, they can alter your feelings and your mind, and they can make you paranoid. And it ended up being a very violent attack that I was in the middle of. And it was something that I certainly will never forget, and I certainly won't make those mistakes again. I I have not had a problem since then, uh, physically. Uh, But every now and again, you can tell that... Uh, depression can set in. Uh, you can you can be paranoid about things, and you just know when you're in a place. Sometimes that place kind of gets inside you. Were there any animals in the house? Oh yes, the uh, uh, Shane had two cats, mm-hmm. and one cat would not come in the house. Uh, it had been a house cat its entire life up until the day he moved in there, and from that day on, it lived on the porch. It didn't leave the porch, but it wouldn't go inside. And the other cat, it was actually a a very interesting piece of the story, I thought. When anybody would try to go downstairs, that cat would have none of it. It would try to block you. It would try to yell at you. It would scratch you. It would come after you. It did not want anybody going downstairs. And when we did, it would kind of try to corral us. And it would just meow as loud as it could, and it would just walk around us. And if we'd separate from each other, it would go and get the one that separated, and it would try to bring them back over. Um, To the point where it was very distracting, but it was making its point very clear. It did not want us downstairs, and I think for very good reason. And that was the first time I'd ever actually seen an animal that involved. And, And it was... It was very interesting, and, and all those theories about animals being able to sense things, I, I'm a firm believer. Yeah, so am I. Um, were there any religious artifacts in the house? There were a few. Um, the house was actually very uh, unique in how it was decorated. Mm-hmm. Shane Shane's a woodmaker, or a woodworker, and in his room, his bed stand looked almost like the outside of a saloon. Uh, he was very, he loves the state of Texas, yeah. you know, he's very cowboyish. And the living room had a similar uh, similar build to it, to where it looked like the outside of a saloon. It was actually very cool, great, great work. Uh, but, it, you know, it was kind of one of those things where there's a lot of trinkets everywhere. Some of the trinkets really caught your attention, like, oh, that's a little weird. <laughs> but there were some religious artifacts here and there. Uh, not not overwhelming though. I, I'd say there was probably a couple crosses throughout the house, but not not a whole lot. Well, was it possible that whatever this entity was, or this demon was, that that your client could have brought it in with one of these weird 
knickknacks he had in the house? I would say it's possible, but not probable. And, and I only say that because there was so there was so much more evidence of other things mm-hmm. occurring. Um, you know, in that dungeon room in the basement, uh, we looked on the ceiling, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there was a, the Eye of Ra yeah. was on the, the ceiling. On one of the walls, it looked like uh, one of the Nazi symbols for an SS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were scratches dug really deep into the walls, Almost, it, we, you know, my first glance was it must have been a raccoon or something, but they were everywhere and they were deep, uh, and sometimes they were really high up on the wall. It, it, there was just a lot more to it yeah. that I, I would have been surprised if just uh, one little artifact or something like that in the house would have really had a direct impact hmm. because there had been activity in the house for so long. Prior to your client going? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he lived there with his family when he was a kid. Okay, so, um, this, is, so and this there was, was nothing... activity then. All right, they, sta- they told me they used to hear footsteps all the time. Okay, stand by. We've got to take our final break. Fascinating story. Exo Nation. Brandon Callahan is our guest this hour. Join him on Facebook. Facebook uh, Facebook dot com forward slash Callahan Author. He's the author of A Paranormal, in, uh, let me see, The House Where Evil Lurks, A Paranormal Investigator's Most Frightening Encounter. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Nation, our guest this hour is Brandon Callahan. He's the author of The House Where Evil Lurks, a paranormal investigator's most frightening encounter. His book is available at uh, from the good people of Llewellyn, uh, also available online. So all you have to do is just Google The House Where Evil Lurks or Brandon's name, Brandon Callahan. Why don't you check him out on Facebook? Facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. Brandon, first of all, I want to thank you so much for coming on the jo- uh, on the show tonight. And like I was saying during the break, I-, I commend you and your team for the reason why you do what you do, to help people. That is so great to hear. Well, thank you. It's it's definitely uh, definitely my top priority. Uh, you know, evidence is nice, yeah. but uh, if you can make just one person sleep better at night, uh, a lot of risk is worth that reward for sure. Hey, blessings to you for that. Um, Thank you. Did it? You know, during your investigation, did you find that somebody might have been using tarot cards or or even a Ouija board? And what is your opinion about a Ouija board? Um, our thoughts were that it was very likely, although we didn't have solid proof, mm-hmm. that there had been some type of seance activity or uh, some type of witchcraft, uh, something like that going on. As far as Ouija boards, you know, to be honest with you, I'm never surprised to find out that one has been used in a home. I I know they're extremely popular and very common. Um, Personally, I try to steer clear of them myself, Mm -hmm. Uh, although I understand the fascination um, I, I personally don't typically partake if there's something like that going on. 
and I don't usually work something like that into our investigations um, for many reasons, because I do feel that there is the possibility, if there is activity in a home, there is potential to make things worse. Um, I have seen Ouija boards in action, and I've seen them work before. I actually, as a younger child, did partake in a in a Ouija board session, and it seemed to work very well, and it freaked me out pretty badly. Uh, we, we actually thought that we may have communicated with a friend of mine that had passed away, and you know, for I think maybe that is part of the reason that I do typically try to steer clear of them at this point. Sometimes when it gets really, really personal, uh, it, you know that that makes it very difficult. What are some but, of the uh, what, but, what are some of the other projects you're working on, Brandon? Uh, other projects, I'm actually I've been working for almost three years now um, down at a location uh, on Cherokee land uh, down in Oklahoma. And that's going to be my next writing project that I'm really starting to kind of ramp up on. Uh, It's been an incredible, eye-opening, fascinating experience down there with these amazing people. Um, And that's something that's near and dear to my heart uh, with untold stories and and forgotten history. Uh, It takes place near where the Trail of Tears uh, took place. And the Trail of Tears was just one of the biggest tragedies in American history that is barely even touched on in schools. And for me to be able to tell a story that's going to be related closely to that uh, is an honor. And it's something that I've really wanted to do for a long time. That's why we've taken so long to, to really cross the T's, dot the I's, and make sure that this story can be told and told well. So I'm looking forward to that coming. And then uh, we've got a couple other projects that we're kind of looking at starting. Um, one of them is actually an unsolved murder. Right. And what I want to do is actually be in the field and combine science, collected facts, and investigation techniques. And I really want to find out if all of these put together in harmony can actually lead to answers that have eluded police and anybody else that's investigated a cold case. Brandon, I hate to do this, but we've just run out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Exxon Nation, find out more about Brandon by joining his Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Callahan author. I'll be back after the news at six and a half minutes past the hour. Don't go away. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone.